Is there anybody who has not noticed political unrest around us? Nobody? If you're wondering, what does the Bible say about that? Let's turn to the 13th chapter of Romans for the first six verses. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word, please? Submission to the authorities is the topic, the heading. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Gail. A sheep rancher was approached one day by a man in a suit. He said, if I can guess how many sheep you've got, may I have one? Thinking this would be impossible, the rancher agreed. The stranger said, you have 1,795 sheep. Stunned by the correct answer, the rancher told him to choose his sheep. The man selected an animal, slung it over his shoulder, and started to walk away. The rancher said, hey, if I can tell you who you work for, can I have that animal back? The stranger, thinking there was no way, said, okay. The rancher said, you work for the government. To which the stranger replied, that's right. How did you figure that out? Well, the rancher said, put down my dog and I'll tell you. (laughs) I used to work for the government. And we, I think there's a respect issue for a government in America today, especially with all that we've experienced in the last decade or two. This is a, this is a kind of a bothersome passage, isn't it? Just be easier, a lot easier if that wasn't in there, wouldn't it? So, what what kind of attitude do people in General, what, what kind of attitude do you think people in general have concerning it, the government? I, I think for a lot of folks, it's pretty negative. 
Sometimes it has to do with who's in office. What kind of attitude do you think Christians in general have concerning the government? Do you think, yeah, do you think it's really any different from the rest of the population out there? I think it should be. Uh, if, if it isn't, maybe we need uh, some of the renewal that Paul talked about in the first part of Romans chapter 12. I think we need to take a look at how God thinks about government. So let's, let's dive into this passage today. Um, the first thing we need to understand that is, that, is that government is established by God and he is sovereign over it. Government is established by God and he is sovereign over it. Over it. Warren Wiersbe said, God has established three institutions. Home, church, and government. And established means that it was originated from God. In other words, it was his idea. So God has sovereignly chosen to delegate his authority to institutions of government that exist in our world. He has given them a measure of authority over us. Remember when Jesus was on trial and he's standing before Pilate. And in John 19, uh, yeah, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, it says, um, so Pilate has been interrogating Jesus. And Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. So what's he telling us? Pilate had power that had been given to him from above. It was God-ordained. Governing authorities is literally the powers that be. That's what, literally what that means as Paul speaks of that in this passage. The powers that be. So it's more than just presidents or congress, but all who are in positions of authority over us. Rats, you're thinking. So here's a point that we don't want to miss. God has the ability to accomplish His will in spite of and even through less than godly rulers. God has the ability to accomplish His will in spite of and even through less than godly rulers. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, Daniel says, He, referring to God, changes times and seasons and removes kings and sets up kings. Insert presidents. Are you kidding me? Romans chapter 9, verse 17, Paul quoting from the Old Testament, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, 
that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised up Pharaoh into his position of rulership and authority. So he allowed a wicked man like Pharaoh the power to to a place of power that God's will might be accomplished. God allowed Pharaoh into a place of power so that through him God's will might be accomplished. So think about people in government over us right now. How can we as Christians be subject or obedient to to those in government like we have now? Now you might be saying, well, I can be subject I can be subject to this one, but that one? I don't think so. Let's think for a moment about the government that existed at the time Paul wrote this passage. At the time much of the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was ruling the world. And the emperor of that empire was named Nero. Nice guy. Yeah. He's been called by some historians an inhuman brute. He persecuted and tortured Christians. Some were tied up in animal skins and thrown to savage dogs. Others were tortured in other, even more hideous ways. Perhaps worst of all was the fate of those who were dipped in pitch, then set afire and hung on poles to light Nero's gardens at night. Nero was also sexually perverted, widely known for his lewd and indulgent sexual behavior and his violation of anyone that he chose to violate. He was a brutal murderer who executed both his own mother and stepbrother. Yet, in spite of Nero's wickedness and brutality, God's instructions to the Christians of that day was for them to be subject to the governing, governing authorities. And so it remains to this day. We don't have it as bad as we thought, do we? The second thing we need to be aware of here is this. Governmental authorities are God's servants. They may not view themselves that way, but they are. Verse 4 says, speaking of those in authority over us, for he is God's servant to do you good. The government is supposed to serve the people. The government is supposed to be the place where we pool our resources in order to provide the services we cannot provide for ourselves. So we pay our taxes and the government builds us parks and playgrounds and highways and provides services that we cannot provide for ourselves. That's the intended purpose of government, to do good. So, in that, so the government should support and encourage what is right. 
Nothing that is morally wrong should be politically correct. Good government should honor good citizens and support right causes. Now we're getting to where the rub's coming in, aren't we? Another reason for government is to restrain evil. That same verse says, He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Government is supposed to make sure that evil does not rule the land. Evil is to be squelched by the powers, the law and power of the government. And, and this passage all also says that if we really want to be free from fear, then we obey the laws of the land. But if we're not obedient, then we have reason to fear. And we know that's true. But every time we're driving down the highway and we hear a siren and see flashing lights behind us, what do we do? Well, we slow down. No matter, we can already be going the speed limit or slower, but we tend to slow down anyway. And you wonder, did I remember my wallet or my purse? Is my seatbelt fastened? Do I have my insurance card and my registration? Is my inspection sticker up to date? Is my state license sticker current? And if all those answers are yes, then we can kind of say, well, maybe, you know, and then they might drive right past you. But if you've broken the law, if we've forgotten one of those things, then we're pretty nervous. We're feeling fearful because we know that the government can punish us for whatever act of oversight or disobedience may be true of us at that moment. Government is to be there to restrain evil. Our Constitution put it this way, to ensure domestic tranquility. So governments have a God-given right to punish evil. <clears throat> the scripture says, He, the governing, of, governing authority, does not bear the sword for nothing. Henry VIII once pardoned a man who had committed murder. He went out and killed another man. Friends asked him to again pardon the man. Henry VIII said no. He killed the first man. I killed the second man. So I've decided that he will not kill anymore. Have you heard it said that you can't legislate morality? You've all heard that. It's true. There's not a law on earth that can make you moral. That is why we have to legislate against immorality. No law can make you love me, so I need one to keep you from killing me. No law can make you honest, so we need ones to keep you from stealing. Government is not here to make you good, but to keep you from evil. 
And we've lost our focus, I think, today on restraining evil. We're more interested in focusing on forcing tolerance of the evil that surrounds us in too many cases. So I think that we need to ask ourselves, what is the Christian's duty to government? Where do God and country meet? How can we be good citizens of our country and still be good Christians? Can we do both? Or, have to, or do we have to be one or the other? Do we have to sacrifice love of God for love of country? Well, I think we can be good citizens and good Christians. And I'm convinced that it's not only possible, but that Christians have a holy obligation to be the best citizens we can possibly be. So, what is our duty to the government? Well, first of all, we are to be obedient. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Okay, so it's, we're not just talking about the, the guy at the very top here like the president. We're talking about authorities right on down through the chain of command. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, we know we probably struggle a little bit with what they view, view as good and wrong, don't we? We struggle with that. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now remember, what Paul's asking people to do here was not an easy thing. We've already talked about the ruling authorities of that day. And yet, we've had these three different admonitions from Scripture about our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, there is an exception to the rule. And that is, whenever the law of the land conflicts with the law of God, then we, as Christians, are to obey the law of God and not the law of the land. Let me give some illustrations. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we call them the three Hebrew children, were told that they must worship the image of gold that the king had set up, that was the law of the land. The law of God said, You shall not make for yourself any image of the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. They refused to bow down and worship 
even though they would be breaking the law of the land. Why? Because ultimately, they were subject to the law of God. And when those things came into conflict, they were required to obey the law of God. Amen? When Daniel was told that he could not pray to anyone except, again, the king, that was the law of the land. The law of God said, you are to pray to me. So Daniel went ahead and prayed even though he disobeyed the law of the land. By the way, um, he didn't get a pass. He was caught. He was thrown into the den of lions and completely devoured. No. (laughs) No. You know, the, the king had, um, he had a place in his heart for Daniel. He regretted the fact that, well, he was tricked, basically, into signing this law. And the next morning, he went out to see if Daniel had somehow survived the night. And to his delight, really, sent, uh, Daniel had survived the night. God had closed the mouths of the lion. I think it's interesting now that the same faith that Those who had it out for Daniel thought he would suffer. They suffered themselves. In fact, it says, when those people who had tricked the king into passing this law were thrown into the den of lions, they didn't even make it to the floor. So, Daniel didn't survive the night because the lions had full tummies. Right? Daniel survived the night because God protected him. Remember when Peter and James were told not to teach or preach at all in the name of Jesus? That was the law of the land. Those religious leaders could lay down that law. But they disobeyed the law of the land and obeyed the law of God God as they continued to preach in the streets about Jesus even though they were arrested and tried because of it. And folks, uh, I'm sorry to say that it may not be long until the government begins to tell the church what she can and cannot preach. It's already happening. We may not be far from the time when we're told that we cannot preach about certain kinds of sexual sin. Or abortion. Because to preach against those things, to call them sin, sin would be considered a hate crime. We would be uh, violating people's civil rights to do so. But when that time comes, we must still speak the truth. We must call sin, sin. We must not compromise the truth of God, even if it puts us in peril. Because when the law of the land disagrees with the law of God, 
we must always obey the law of God. The next way that we're, we're to respond to those in authority over us is to render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, Jesus, with his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men, because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? That must have driven them crazy. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Didn't expect that answer. So the teaching here in Romans chapter 13 is in complete agreement with the teaching of Jesus found in the passage that I just read, Matthew chapter 22. There Jesus is asked by the Jewish leaders whether or not it is lawful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor. And so Jesus asked them to give him a Roman coin and asked whose name and likeness was on it. And when they said, Caesar's, he replied, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. They had attempted to put the question of subjection to authority into the either-or category. They had attempted to put the question of subjection to authority in the either-or category. In other words, you've got to choose one or the other is it God or is it Rome is it God or is it the government and Jesus rejected this trap by taking the question of subjection out of the either or category and placing it in the category of both be subject to God and the government He was telling them. In no way does responsibility to God deny the responsibility to pay taxes to a human government. If the government uses that tax money for moral purposes, the people who spend it will have to answer to to God or the people who determine how it is spent will have to answer to God. Our responsibility as Christians is to pay taxes. Now I know that taxes are a touchy subject for many people and we're right at that wonderful it's the most wonderful time. (laughs) 
And I admit that I don't like to pay more than my share. But let me tell you something. I like what taxes get me for the most part. Think about it. You may not like how much you are taxed. I don't. But you cannot argue with the principle of taxation. Government must build roads, sewers, bridges. They must provide armies, fire protection, city halls, law enforcement. And your taxes and mine go to pay for those things. Now, I understand that there's a lot of waste out there. We've all heard the stories of, you know, how much the military paid for one toilet seat, things like that. And I, I realize that some of our taxes go to other things that don't serve essential purposes. And even things that are immoral. But aside from that, I'm glad for the benefits I enjoy. And I hope you are too. The main forms of taxation in Judea and Galilee at the time of Jesus would have been the following. First of all, there was a land tax. This would have been the bulk of taxes gathered. It was linked to the amount of produce derived from a piece of farmland. In cities and towns, it was replaced by a house tax. Then there was the head tax. This was the type of tax levied on males by Quirinius on the basis of the census. Remember, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, that's when the census was called and Mary and Joseph packed it up and headed for Bethlehem. That was a head tax that was being levied at that time. The custom tax. These were collected at booths on goods passing through city gates. That's where the tax collectors came into play most of the time. They were customs taxes were collected at booths on goods passing through city gates and at ports on goods and produce coming ashore. And the problem with tax collectors was that they not only collected the amount that Rome required, but they added a little for themselves, or a lot for themselves, and very often they were Jews working for the Roman government and so because they were Jews working for the Roman government and because they tended to cheat they were way down the list on the popularity list let's call it that and I know like in Jesus' day I know that there are problems that exist with our tax system I know that but we still have to pay our taxes. All that you owe, no more, no less, and thank God it's not more than it is. Have you heard all this? There's a big push out there, you know, for socialism now. And I was listening to um, a talk show person that was talking about the, the percentage of tax that people who live under in a socialist government have to pay. You think we've got it bad now. So my encouragement to you as a good steward 
is to take advantage of tax breaks and deductions that are legal. It's good stewardship. You hear what he said? Take advantage of tax breaks and deductions that are legal. It's good stewardship. This is a really long sermon. Um, let, let's uh, put a mark on your paper there, because if I keep going, we've still got a ways to go, okay? So, we're going to look at um, item C next week. I'll tell you what the fill-in is now. We're to respect those in authority over us. That's where we'll start next week. Sound good? Yeah, because I got... Now you get on some of these subjects and you just get carried away. I mean, there's a lot here, isn't there? And especially on a subject like this where you kind of struggle at times. All right? Let's pray. Father, help us to remember that you are the one is instituted authority structure, governmental authority structure, law enforcement authority structure, state government authority structure, city government authority structure, church authority structure. You have instituted those And they, um, they may have more some cases into something that maybe not originally intended to be was difficult to live under. But Lord Jesus, at the time this was written, government authority structure was not something easy to live under. And yet, we have heard today, as we read the scripture, admonitions for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be subject to the authorities that you have instituted and put in place. So, through the process of being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we need to see this whole subject matter in a different way. Then we pray that your scripture would clean up our thinking about this scripture. So that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are the best citizens we can be. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.